What's up, guys? Welcome to the RBC Students Recap Podcast. This podcast is for students in 7th through 12th grade who are interested in learning more about Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus every single day. On today's episode of the podcast, you're going to get to hear a recording from our midweek series, Ask Me Anything. We hope that you enjoy. Tonight, we are on week two of our Ask Me Anything series. So you guys submitted questions and uh, questions that you wanted answers to. And last week we kicked off this series with the question, what do I do about school drama? Okay, and um, I know many of you came last Wednesday night and were like, this is so relevant. I'm so thankful we're talking about this. Um, And so I, I think it was a blessing to you. It was definitely a blessing to me. And tonight we are addressing a real topic that real people had a question about. Multiple uh, teenagers in this room submitted questions, and you guys asked us, can women be pastors? Can women be pastors? And um, it's been so interesting. I walked around the room before, uh, while you guys were playing the game, and once some of you got out, and I asked you this question. Um, Based on the information you knew right then, and some of you gave me uh, a mix of answers, a wide variety of answers, and so um, I'm really excited to dive into this tonight. I believe that this is a question that people inside and outside of the church are asking um, in today's day and age, and so I'm really excited to tackle it with you, but before we start, we're going to pray. Okay, we're going to do that together um, because I believe that this really, really matters tonight um, and anytime we open the word of God. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you um, just for a time to come and hang out and, and have fun together and fellowship and um, worship together, God, and to open your word and um, God, just explore um, what it is that you have uh, you have said to us through your word, God. We pray tonight that we would have humility as we look at uh, your word. God, we pray that um, that your spirit um, would just uh, teach us and train us as we open your word. And God, and we know that you will be faithful to that. God, we love you so much and we're so, um, so blessed um, to just have this time together. In your name, amen. All right. So, if you got your Bible, tonight we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter Two, First Timothy chapter two, um, but before we go there, um, tonight's bottom line, bottom line tonight that I want you, if I wanted you to take away one thing tonight, this is it. I'm going to tell you it on the front end, is that God has and will continue to uniquely use both men and women to accomplish his purposes. I'm going to say that one more time. God has and will continue to uniquely use both men and women to accomplish his purposes. Um, Now, here's the thing. Uh, We talked all last semester about this book right here, The Word of God. And one of the things that we talked about last semester, we really explored a whole bunch of things. But one of the things we talked about one week was um, the fact that the Word of God, uh, we read in, I think it was Psalm 139, how the Word of God is trustworthy. It's something you can stake your life on. Um, it's something you can you can place your bets on. You know that if God put it in his word, he meant for it to be there, right? Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, if you have said, 
yes, um, I am in. I accept the free gift of salvation that Christ has offered to me. Um, that means that this, you believe that this is true. Um, and you can trust this and you can stake your life on this. If you do not yet follow Jesus, then the things, anytime we open the word of God um, and read something, you don't necessarily have a an inclination to believe that this is truth. Um, but from my vantage point, as I've walked with Jesus, as I've studied this book, um, this book is trustworthy. Hear that from me. Okay, so um, it was about, I'm trying to think, 2016 is when I graduated. So it was about 2014 when I first started asking these kinds of questions, okay? Um, I believe that uh, when I was 16, I was called to ministry. Um, I knew that God was calling me to gospel ministry and full-time ministry, but I had no earthly idea what that looks like. And so it was in 2014 when I really started diving into God's word to see what God had to say about this question. And um, I can tell you that since then, it's been, that's nine years. Nine years? Yep. I can count. Uh, nine years, I have studied and studied and studied the Bible, and and really, I believe that um, that I have found some um, some answers to this question um, because God's word is true, and I believe that. And um, so, when we we're going to study a hard passage tonight, I want you to know that um, anything I say tonight, my prayer for days and days and days has been that nothing that comes out of my mouth would be my opinion or um, something that I have fabricated based on maybe my worldview or my political view or what I believe um, I have been gifted with or somebody else has been gifted with, but it's it's based entirely on the word of God. Okay, that is my prayer. And so 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. It says this. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control or good sense. All right, people. If you were not a Christian and had, or even if you were a Christian and you had never seen that passage before and you cracked open the old Bible and you opened up to that passage and you saw that, would you be concerned? If you are a Christian and you opened your Bible randomly up to that passage and you saw that out of context, would you be concerned? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Like, this is a hard passage, and so my goal tonight is to help us come to a conclusion based on the context around this verse, um, and based on what God's Word says, not just in one place, but in multiple places, okay? Deal? We're going to do this tonight. Um, so, um, to give you some context, Paul is the author of this letter. Um, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to a church leader, Timothy. And he's writing to him and he's giving him um, instruction on, on how to go about this thing because this is like in the first century church when the church was just starting to form um, after Christ was resurrected. And so, uh, so he's writing this letter to Timothy and he warns him against these um, false prophets and people that are, are spreading false things. 
and he gives some instruction in this book. And so this is what we call a pastoral epistle. And it gives him some instruction on things like what a pastor or an elder are supposed to to be and what it's supposed to look like and what standards they should have in their life. It's got uh, information about what deacons, uh, their lives are supposed to look like. It's got information on what to do with those false teachers in your church, Kate. It's got all this information. Um, And so right before this passage, if you look in your Bibles, he's giving some instruction for how things should be ordered within the context, hear me here, within the context of the local church gathering, okay? So, like, if you're like, what are you really saying when you say that? Okay, the local church gathering is similar to, like, our Sunday morning gathering, okay? And so he's giving some instruction on what that should look like. He talks about um, men praying not in anger. Um, He talks about, and and that's when he gets to um, women being silent, now, here's the deal. I, when I was little, I had this, like, I have contingency plans in my life. I'm a paranoid lady. And so when I was little, I would, I had this plan that if someone were to ever break into my house, I would just lay in bed as still as I possibly could and keep my eyes closed and pretend that they just weren't there. And maybe if I stayed still enough that they would go away. And there was one night... When my mom walked into my room, but it was like at 1 a.m., and I'm laying there. I'm probably an elementary student. Like, I wasn't tiny, and I'm laying there, and I'm just pretending like nobody's there hoping for the life of me that they don't see me so they don't take me and kidnap me. Like, paranoid lady, and and my mom did something, and finally, like, I was ready to square up with whoever this was in my room, and anyways, we like laughed about it and I told her my contingency plan it's not a very good one okay but I also had a plan for what I'd do if they did find me okay um sometimes when we come across these weird past what what to us looks like really weird passages we just like to like lay still and pretend like they're not there otherwise like I don't know if we start asking questions like they just might get scary and we might hear something we don't want to hear. Okay. Um, And so uh, that is the temptation with this passage, but that's not what we're going to do because uh, scripture says that all scripture is profitable and it's good for things like teaching and instructing and training in righteousness. And so um, we want to dive into this. Okay. So number one, my first question is I come across this text. What? does quiet mean? It says this. It says, uh, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Okay? We need to figure out what quiet means. Um, I am currently in a church building, and I'm currently using my voice. I'll just, I'm just going to go home now. Okay, no. Okay, what does quiet mean? We've got to figure that out. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, verse 33 through 35. Uh, here's another, another time where Paul writes the same thing. So it just repeats it almost. He says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are su- to submit themselves as the law 
also says. Can we continue to close our eyes and pretend like it's not there? He said it again. And he said, as in the churches of all the saints. That means all the saints. That means every church that professes Christ. Okay. So he says it again. He repeats it. Uh, What does quiet mean? Well, as I've studied, I'm quiet. This word means like having a gentle spirit. Um, and a quiet, gentle spirit. And as I studied and studied and studied, there's all kinds of things. Um, you guys know you have friends that go to other churches that believe different things about women in ministry. And uh, so you know that people maybe interpret this passage differently or they, or they don't, maybe. Um, but as I've studied, I recognize that Paul is prohibiting something here. He means something here. Our job is to figure out what that something is um, based on the scripture. Um, another thing that quiet can mean is to like hold your peace, okay? Um, so what does this look like? In that church, it's, he's trying to create order within the local congregation. And so can you imagine what it would be like? Pastor Jeremy is preaching on Sunday, and somebody gets up and tries to teach over him. That would be kind of like, that just like wouldn't, that just wouldn't, that just wouldn't, that would be disorderly. A guest would probably think that we're like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? Um, and so um, this idea of women trying to take authority from uh, from their pastor, okay, he's saying, chill out a little bit, keep your peace, sit there, like, hang tight. Um, that doesn't mean you can't speak in church or, or have a conversation. It's just we want to be orderly here, okay? Um, my second question, what does the creation order and the fall have to do with it? Another reason why we can't just, like, stand here and pretend like this passage doesn't exist is he appeals to the created order um, and the fall in Genesis chapter 3. So in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to give you the synopsis. We're not going to turn there because we got 80,000 scriptures tonight. Genesis, um, God created um, the world. He created the world in seven days. And he, uh, after he created the animals, um, he created the male and female, scripture says. You can fact check me. And then he creates man. Um, he gives him dominion over the garden. And realizes that that Adam, uh, that was his name, he needed a helper in order to take on this task. And so he created Eve. Um, And then, and he said, you can have uh, dominion over this whole garden. Uh, There's one rule. You can't eat from the fruit of one specific tree. And does anybody know what happened? What happened? The serpent, so Satan, came into the garden, and he uh, he told Eve that she would be like God if she ate of that fruit. And she ended up eating of that fruit, and, um, and it caused uh, really the rest of humanity a lot of problems, okay? And so uh, he appeals to this created order. Male was formed first, and then Eve, and then he says that um, Eve was deceived, and that is why he's saying that a woman, a woman cannot have authority over a man. So when Adam was formed, he was given authority over creation. Um, notice that he was not given a counterpart, and God's claim was that it wasn't good to be alone. Eve was made for have 
for Adam. So that's just what happened. That's how God designed it. Um, he did it on purpose, okay? So once again, can't close our eyes and pretend like it's not there. Um, he created man and woman on purpose intentionally. Um, and Adam was to be the leader of his household. Now, when I say that, that makes some of y'all cringe out here um, because you're like, well, women can lead too. Like, women can lead in their household. Um, God designed for the husband to be the one responsible to God for the way that he served and loved his family, okay? And so um, then Eve goes and makes this decision, and the fault fell on Adam because he was the firstborn of man. Um, he was the husband. And so that's something that our Western eyes maybe don't see. Firstborn was really important um, back in the day in Jewish culture. And so um, because he was a firstborn, because he was a husband, the responsibility ended up falling on him. Okay, Romans 5, uh, verse 12 through 13. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Okay, who is the one man that sin entered the world through? Based on Genesis. Adam. So Adam kind of took the fall for that, right? Um, okay. So we see that uh, he's prohibiting something. We see an appeal to the created order in the fall. Um, then the, the other head scratcher is this one. Uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, and the woman was deceived and transgressed. And then it says, but she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. What does that mean? Does anybody feel, I'm not going to actually ask for your answer, but does anybody feel confident that they totally understand what that means? If you raised your hand, you'd be, you'd be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because the smartest scholars, smartest theologians, um, the staff here at Ridgecrest we don't have, like, perfect clarity on what this means. Um, but I can tell you what some views are. And then um, I, I, I still don't believe that um, no matter what consensus you come to here, that it changes the meaning or the principle. And that's what we're looking for. Okay. So is this saying that all women should have babies resulting in their spiritual salvation? You don't got babies, you're not going to heaven. Is that what it's saying? No, okay. Okay, it's not saying that. We know that. Um, based on what we know in other scriptures. Okay, some people um, believe that being saved through childbearing is not a, um, it is not a, obviously, like a spiritual salvation, but it's working out. So he's saying, hey, this role of pastor is not reserved, like pastor's, are men, they that based on God's design, um, and women. Uh, this is one way that they can work out their salvation is by um, childbearing. Now, uh, that would mean not just having babies in the physical sense, but um, fulfilling the calling to be a disciple maker, both in the home and the church with other people's kids. Um, that's more plausible than the salvation spiritually by having babies, okay? Um, some people think that this is an appeal that saved through childbearing is an allusion to Jesus, okay? Jesus, 
was born of a woman. Um, so there's these different, really two main views that I've seen as I've studied. And at the end of the day, there's some mystery surrounding the statement. So I, I don't know if I could say this is for sure what this exact means. Um, the reason being, in case you're skeptical of me now that I've said that we don't know, okay? The reason being because this was written 2,000 years ago in an entirely different culture, Eastern culture. Um, and so there are going to be some things that maybe we don't understand totally, okay? Uh, totally different language, etc. But I believe... Uh, yeah, faithful ministers and pastors I've talked to believe there's mystery here. So what are we clear about based on this text? What is the principle here based on what we read? God has called particular men to serve as the pastoral authority in the church. And if it seems outdated or stuffy, are we allowed to disregard it and pretend like it's not there? If it seems patriarchal and like oppressive, Maybe to our culture, uh, do we just close our eyes and pretend like it's not there? Here, we live what we believe, and we believe that the way of Jesus is best, and we believe that God's word is true. And so, uh, can't just pretend like it's not there, um, and we can't just write it off either. There's this tendency for people to just kind of explain it away and justify it too, and we can't do that. And so, um, since God, this is the question, because y'all are mad at me now. You're super uncomfortable, I know. You, like, some of y'all have checked out because you're like, this lady doesn't know what she's talking about. Okay, I understand. So, um, since God prohibits women from being pastors, and we can have, like, conversation about that, okay. Is that proof that he thinks women are inferior to men? No. <laughs> um, I'll give you that answer. Of course not. And here's how we know. Okay, Genesis 1:27. All people have been created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, and that gives them worth and value. Um, you look at Galatians. I guess we have, yeah, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So God created the human race. He created them in the image of God. Check out Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 through 29. It says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So both men and women who have placed their faith and trust in Christ are heirs to the kingdom of God. Um, and, and they are equal in value. Okay, period. No matter what, Scripture makes that very clear, not just in those two passages, but in lots of passages. Okay, um, so here's the thing that maybe our Western eyes and our Western ears think or, or see whenever we, we hear the word like submission. That also gives us icky feelings, right? You're mad that I just said that out loud. Um, submission is not inferiority. So I would say biblical submission is trust in leadership as leadership trusts Christ, okay, um, I am not, so I don't like, I'm not a hugger, I don't really like it, um, but it's only situational that I don't like it, if I don't trust somebody, I want them like 8,000 feet outside of my personal bubble, you know what I'm saying, or if somebody hasn't earned my trust, like, I'm not gonna give you a hug, that's just not my thing, some of y'all can like hug each other just freely, I, I can't do that, um, <laughs> And, but I can't with somebody I trust. But if somebody comes up to give me a hug that I don't trust yet, like, can you just feel the feeling that I feel? 
You know what I'm talking about? That's the feeling you feel when I say the word submission. It's just a little creep. Like, if I say you should submit to somebody, you're like, I don't want to. Um, So here's the thing. Yeah, when we say the word submission, all sorts of feelings come up. Um, Do all men have authority over all women? I'll answer that. No. No. Um, Does that mean? uh, Yeah. So, So here are some men that in my life I am supposed to submit to. My husband, number one, I'm called to submit to him. He's the leader of my home. Okay. Number two, my pastor. He is the leader, uh, the leader I'm called to submit to and my elders here. Um, and so those are the people I'm called to submit to. Then I'm called to submit in maybe a different sense, not as spiritually, to like governmental authority. We're called to submit to like our bosses and employers. We're called to submit to each other in love. Um, but those are the men that are spiritually responsible to God for the way that they serve and love and lead me. Okay. Um, and so uh, for you, that probably looks like the leader in your household. That looks like if you're a part of this local church, the pastors and elders of this church. Those are the women, or those those are the men that you're called to submit to. Okay. Um, so, reminder: women are created in the image or likeness of God. Um, saved women are heirs to the promise. And here's another reminder: pastoral authority. Like this is not a corporate ladder. Okay. Another thing to remember in the church. So. Like, Ridgecrest Baptist Church is not a corporate ladder to, to climb. Being pastor is not at the top of the food chain of, like, this, like, corporate business. Some people believe that, like, to be a pastor, that's, like, the pinnacle of, like, you're, like, a real Christian when you made it up there. And, like, you like if I can, like, learn how to teach well enough, like, I'll, I'll get to be that guy one day. Like, pa- that's not what pastoral um, authority looks like. Um, And so, yeah, there's no ladder to climb. The pastor is just as important. Uh, We talked about the body of Christ. So the pastor is just as important as um, somebody in the church that's a Jesus follower that has the gift of encouragement. um, As somebody who has uh, the gift of teaching. As somebody that has the gift of administration. um, Everyone in the body of Christ is is equally valuable, okay? And so um, that's just a little side note. But here's the deal. Um, Jesus himself submitted. And that's the other thing we have to remember. So um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9 says this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. We'll do the next one. If we've got it. So at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so Jesus submitted to the Father. Um, we all have somebody in our life that we are submitting to. Okay. If you're a member of this church, young men and young women in here, old men and old women in here, you're called to submit to your pastors and elders. That's somebody you have to submit to, okay? So this is not like 
women over here, you have somebody to submit to. You need to submit to everybody, but everybody else go do whatever they want. That's not what this is saying. Um, And I think why submission makes us feel really uncomfortable is our culture is telling us to, like, get rid of the establishment, get rid of anything that places limitation or boundary on us, um, because anything uh, that places a limit or a boundary on us is oppressive because they're telling me what to do or who to be, right? And so you're told from a young age that you can be whoever you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. You have no limitations. Um, And I believe that God created us with great potential to do really cool things. Um, I will never be an NBA basketball player. I just won't. Um, and, and that is a limitation on my life. Um, and so can I really do whatever the heck I want to do or be whoever I want to be? No. Okay. Dang it. Well, here's the deal. We all want responsibility without accountability. And we want opportunity to lead without any boundaries. And if you are somebody who desires leadership, just know you'll be a really bad leader if you're not if you don't have boundaries and accountability, period. Um, So this is not the heart of Christ. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Um, Jesus uh, called his disciples over, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be last, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so Submission is not inferiority, it's not a bad thing, and it's something we all have um, in our life, and this is just the particular uh, design of God, is that women in the church, men of the church, submit to the authority of the church, um, and the role of pastor is reserved for a man, okay? I belabored this point, I understand. We're going to get to, like, some exciting stuff, and I'm going to stop telling you Doom and gloom things. So, um, once again, God has chosen both men and women to advance his kingdom together. So, the role of the pastor here at this church, he is not called to lord his authority over the congregation. He is not called to domineer like a corrupt corporate boss. Um, he is to love and shepherd his congregation while maintaining authority and responsibility to God. Okay? Pastor Jeremy and the elders are responsible to God. And they're called to love and shepherd the congregation while maintaining authority and responsibility. So um, at this church, we have Pastor Jeremy, and we've got a board of elders. And if you're not one of those people, once again, you're called to submit to their authority and to their teaching. So the question you're all asking, Ashley, what are you? What are you doing right now? Why are you teaching us? Um, What am I? Let me just remind you, student ministry did not exist back in the first century. Ministry to teenagers sure as heck did, but student ministry like this did not exist back in the first century. Nick and I have been entrusted um, with student ministry by the pastor and elder of our church, elders of our church. Um, I do not have pastoral authority over you or over the congregation. Um, Guess what? Neither does Nick. Did you know that? Nick does not. What? I know. Nick's name tag says student pastor. Um, He also, yes, okay. Um, But Nick does not have 
He does not have past, yeah, hear me. He does not have pastoral authority over the congregation at large. He doesn't. Um, we've been given a responsibility to you guys. Um, we have to answer to God for the ways that we've taught you. Um, the Bible says, but we don't have pastoral authority over you. And um, another thing is here at this church, we have women faithfully serving the Lord in so many different capacities. And so what I don't want you hearing me say today, I answered the question, right? Like I answered it, um, but um, some of you are like, okay, but I, I'm a really good teacher, or I'm, a, I'm really good at leading, or I'm really gifted in this way, and I feel like I, like when you ask, can women be pastors, like I, I think that I have what it takes to like be who he is. It has nothing to do with having what it takes. Um, it has everything to do with what God's word says. And so um, God has gifted women and men with the same gifts of the Holy Spirit we see in scripture. And so if you've been given the gift of teaching, uh, that is not a mistake. If you've been given the gift of leading, that is not a mistake. Um, That is the role a pastor and husband have been reserved for particular men, um, but not all men um, in the same way, which our culture doesn't love this, that women, their role, that men cannot mother like and birth a child, right? biologically. Um, Men cannot mother and birth a child, and men cannot spiritually mother um, other people and children. And so um, there are roles that God has reserved, but there is a whole lot of freedom that scripture also gives us. And so um, my one question for those of you that are wrestling, um, and really for any of you, is are you willing, if you're a follower of Christ, are you willing to sacrifice what you hope would be true for the good of the kingdom of God. Because once again, it's not what I can do or what name I can make for myself once again or like what abilities I have or what ladder I could climb. But the entire reason we're doing any of this is for God and for his glory. And so if we're going to step out of bounds and try to do something that God hasn't ordained as good, we're in trouble. Um, and, and we've lost sight of what's what the point is. Um, And so uh, Jackie Hill Perry says, um, which is a few slides back, I missed it earlier, but she said, God is innately good, therefore his commandments are good too. When I have an issue with the word of God, I have an issue with him himself. So if God is good, which scripture tells us, and we've experienced uh, then his commandments, the things he says in his words are good too. And if we've got an issue with it, we've got an issue with him. Uh, Francis Chan says, when I disagree with something in God's word, I just assume that I'm wrong. Okay, that's the first thing, the first um, uh, position we need to take is, all right, God, I read something in scripture. It, it's looking a little, a little sketchy, um, but... I'm going to assume that uh, that I'm wrong first, um, and I'm going to search your word, and I'm going to pray, and I, I trust that your Holy Spirit that you've given me um, will help me sort those things out in the body of Christ, okay? So, what if I am a woman who has the gift of teaching? Um, some churches have been so terrified to cross a boundary that they miss out and don't disciple their women. They don't equip their women. They don't send their women to serve God and the giftings he has given to them. And here we're not about that. Okay, hear me clearly. So here are some ways 
sacrifices that women were used by God in the Bible for his glory. Okay, if you look at the lineage of Christ, you see um, how God used women through uh, the ages um, to bring uh, salvation to the world. Okay, Um, Deborah, good old Debbie, uh, she was a judge of Israel and a prophetess. So pretty cool prophets uh, and prophetesses uh, proclaimed a word from God uh, to the nation of Israel. Pretty cool. so once again, like, God has, has given her, um, that is outside, once again, of the context of the local church that's in the Old Testament. Um, Miriam, Moses' uh, mother, led other women in worship after they crossed the Red Sea. God used Esther, who put herself in harm's way, and the people of Israel were spared. Um, he spoke through a lady named Holda, which sounds really intense. You should look her up. She's pretty cool. Uh, the prophetess, um, he... Yeah, so, so in the Old Testament, there's multiple more um, people that he used to bring um, either as an example to us of what faithfulness to him looks like or, um, or to bring about just his will. Um, another thing in the New Testament, women, um, there were women that traveled around with Jesus and his disciples. And some of them, it says in Scripture, they supported Jesus' ministry financially. Um, so if you have the gift of giving... There you go. Um, Jesus chose women to be the first to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. So, who is this? And uh, back in that day, women were not considered credible witnesses. And so the fact that he uh, had them participate in that way is awesome. Um, Jesus transformed the life of a Samaritan woman. Uh, She was most likely an outcast, and she shared Jesus with her town. Um. Jesus established his church, and he gave women spiritual gifts, just like today, for the purpose of expanding the kingdom. Um, Some women in the New Testament had the gift of prophecy, um, like Philip the evangelist's daughters and Anna. Um, Paul called women co-laborers in Christ. Women hosted the church in their homes. Uh, Phoebe was a deaconess. She served the church in practical ways, okay? Um, women are called to make disciples. So the Great Commission is not just for men, it's for women to go therefore and proclaim the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, that's for men and women. Um, so women are called to make disciples in Titus. Um, there's a kind of a particular type of discipleship that women, older women, are called to by uh, to younger women. Um, women are called to disciple younger women. I just said that. Women can train kids and children. Women can instruct men in the ways of God in appropriate settings. Have you ever heard of Priscilla and Aquila? Anybody ever heard? Okay, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul was teaching, and um, they pulled him aside afterwards and taught him, it says in Scripture, taught him the ways of God more rightly. So once again, women can teach men in these appropriate settings, the local church congregation, that pastoral authority is where um, where it is reserved for particular men, okay? Um, he chose, God chose a woman to carry Christ, the Messiah, and Mary. Um, look up Lydia sometime if you've got, and if you need another woman um, to, to see the example of. But there are so many different ways that God has gifted and equipped women to serve um, for the purpose. Don't, 
lose sight of for the purpose of the glory of God, just like he's called you young men to serve for the purpose, not of your own ego, but for the glory of God to serve. And so um, though that particular role, the role that Pastor Jeremy and the elders hold um, is not something that a woman scripturally is, is called to hold. God has given so much green light for so many other ways that women are called to participate in the kingdom of God. And so I think if once again, another thing that I want you to hear from me is that I have a deep conviction that um, that God, A, values women, period, um, no questions asked, and and he chose, Jesus, when he was on earth, chose to honor women instead of shame them, um, which was very countercultural, um, and, and God has great plans for women, and so... Um, I hope that's what you heard from my heart tonight. Um, I know I probably, there's still going to be some uncomfortable feelings maybe after this. And so if you do find yourself wrestling with this, um, please come talk to Nick or I because we have labored and labored. And I'm sure I have not said everything that needed to be said tonight. And so there will be questions. Um, but before we end tonight, I have a question I want you to think about. And if you've got a piece of paper, you can write your answer down. Uh, we're not getting in discussion groups or anything. But um, is there something in tonight's message that made you uncomfortable? I want you to ask yourself that question. The second question I want you to ask yourself is why? And then the third thing I want you to do is take it to God in prayer. So we're going to spend the next three-ish minutes. That is all for this week. I've left some discussion questions and reflection questions down in the show notes. Um, so take a look at those, but we will see you next time.